0: First scripture this morning is Psalm 22, 1 through 15. From the director of music to the time of the door of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, we ha- why have thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the world of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned me by the Holy One. You are in the praise of Israel. In in your fathers put their trust. They trusted you and delivered you from them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am worn and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him yet you brought me into the you brought me out of the womb you made me trust in you even at my even at my mother's breast from birth i was cut upon you from my mother's womb i've been my god do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help many many bulls <clears throat> excuse me many bulls surround me strong bulls of the encircle me, roaring lions fearing they pray, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a, like a pot shed and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the death.
1: Scripture reading today, everyone, is from the book of Job, Job 23, 1 through 9, and then we're going to pick up again um, in 16 and 17, oh no, that's going to be a hard pass, thank you, sorry about that, Job 23, Job 23 says, then Job spoke again, my complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud, if only I knew where to find God, I would go into his court, I would lay out my case, and I would present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand that he says to me, would he use his great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him. So I would be forever acquitted if he were my judge. I go east, but he is not there, and I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. And then we're going to skip down to verses 16 and 17. God has made me sick at heart, and Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick and impenetrable darkness is everywhere. The word of the Lord.
2: Our third scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 17 to 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals is impossible. But not for God. For, for God, all things are possible. The word of God. So having a kid in school is a really interesting thing. I drop Eden off every morning. And it's really just astounding and enjoyable to watch her just skip out of the car most morning. She's got this Trolls backpack. Trolls is a big thing in our household. And so she's got this Trolls backpack that's a little too big. Uh, and so it bounces As she's skipping along, and more often than not, as she gets out, the kid in the car in front of us is somebody she knows, so she immediately yells the name, and they walk in hand in hand. It's really the most adorable thing ever. Um, But she's got this happiness, this joy that is just like all over the place as soon as she walks out. And when she gets home, more often than not, the joy is there as well. And you can see it in her face as she... As, we, as I walk in from work and I, I say, how was your day? And the stories just flow out of her. She tells me all the things that happened at recess and at lunch and with her teacher, all of these things. And this, the stories just don't seem to stop. That is until the days when they don't show up at all. Now, when Eden has a bad day, you can see it on her face. You can see it immediately that something is amiss and that that there's something that she doesn't want to talk about. And so as we're sitting at the dinner table and I say, how was your day? She just looks down at her food and kind of plays with it and shrugs. Uh, While the stories might be easy on the good days, it's impossible on the bad days. And really, sometimes it's easy for us to talk about God. It's easy for us to talk about the, the, the days where it feels like all things are possible and it feels like God is with us in all ways. In those moments, it feels like God is right there, that God is walking through every moment, that every moment is authored in some way that that it feels like it's working out for our good. And it's easy for us to talk about God in those moments. It's easy for us to talk about God and to our church. It's easy for us to talk about God to our friends and family. It's easy for us to talk about God to ourselves even in that moment. But there's also the valley times. There's also the times when... We're in the depths of despair, and it seems like God is really far away, and it's a lot easier for us to stare at our meal and shrug. Even past the valley times, there's the storm times. There is the times when you are feeling so down that you don't just feel like God isn't there. You feel like God is at fault. You feel like God has caused some ill against you, and you want to know why. Your fear, your sadness can turn to anger. You'd think that this is going to be a sermon saying that those feelings are bad, that those feelings are something to repent of, that those feelings are something to, to you know, shy away from. But you would you'd kind of be wrong. Uh, so we have all of these scripture readings today, and they have a through line to me of uh Sadness and anger, uh, uncomfortableness with God. And I'm going to stand up here and tell you today that those feelings weren't inherently wrong, almost. Our first story, Job, is a story of a man who's lost almost everything. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Job, but Job has, through one disaster after another almost everything taken away from him to the point where his wife says just curse God and die. It's over. His friends show up and his friends do a pretty good job grieving with him until they open their mouths. Y'all know folks like that? Um, And so they do a really good job of in the silence but as soon as they start talking they start trying to justify and they start trying to make sense of what has happened to Job. And one friend clearly says that because all of this happened, it proves to us that Job has done something wrong because Job must deserve what God has done to him. Our text today from Job is Job's response to this assertion. When Job basically says, if God is this judge, clearly he's misjudged me. Clearly he hasn't listened because if I could just get in front of this judge, I could plead my case and I would get my sentence commuted. I might even get reparations. This is not how this is supposed to go. And if I could just get his ear for just a minute, things could be different. This judge needs to look me square in the face and explain how he came to this conclusion. So basically, Job is is offering offering the opposite side of the same coin of his friend. Job is mad. And it's an anger many of us have felt. It's pretty easy when something happens in our lives that we feel like we have no control over, that we feel like was happened to us instead of us doing something. It's easy for us to try to say, how did this happen? And often the response of the world is that God caused it. And often the response of the world is that that God wasn't there or that God could have done something or that God should have done something. But when we're mad at this, we're not mad at God. We're mad at Job's friend's understanding of God. It's a God who decides what happens and what doesn't happen to people based off of who they are, what they did, and what they didn't do. But that's not how God operates. God isn't a judge that sits up and doles out judgments that we live in this world, but rather God sits by us, God holds us, God wipes the tears away. And we're mad at this judging understanding of God. God is mad with us. This anger is something that God feels as well. Because God isn't the judge that refuses to hear our case. God is the public defender who is standing alongside us. Proclaiming our humanity. Proclaiming God's love for us. Proclaiming and reminding the world how much we're loved. Our psalm today is also an angry one. It is a psalm of lament, and psalms of lament are songs or poems that are full of despair, of anger, depression, and frustration. They are psalms when, for when nothing seems right, and they're not the psalms we normally think of often, because normally, you know, we think of uh, these psalms of praise or these psalms of God as a shepherd who you know, helps us wander through green pastures. And it's seldom saying, you know, we seldom hold up. You don't see people walking around with shirts that say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in pretty font, like you do other other psalms. Um, But they're still there. They're still a part of the book. They're still a part of what, uh, because they're a part of the human condition. Lamentations, we have a whole book called Lamentations that is basically the same kind of poetry. So in this psalm, we hear the psalmist cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the call of someone spurned by God. This is the call of someone who feels like God has turned a a blind eye, who feels like God is absent in their moment of, of despair, in their moment of need. The whole psalm, though, is kind of a back and forth. This almost kind of bipolar argument with themselves and with God as they're saying, God's not here, but also saying God is good and God will take care of it. They feel forsaken by God, but there's also this understanding that God is good and will do good. They're despised by everyone who mock them as God does nothing, but at the same time, they say God's been with them their whole lives, even before they were born. But The most telling part of this to me is the first line the one that we keep repeating my god my god why have you forsaken me now the part that we all that sticks in our side is why have you forsaken me but the beginning of it my god my god he's not saying oh god oh god or this god i used to know why did you forsaken me what have you forsaken me why did you forsake me i got to get my grammar right but it's my God, my God. Even in this moment, even in this anger, the relationship is still there. Even in this anger, they're still claiming God. They are still reaching for God. The thing is, we sometimes forget that God is big enough to handle our frustration. God is bigger than our anger. God is bigger than our hard times. And God can handle any emotions that we have. So often we're told that if we step out in the middle of a lightning storm and throw our middle fingers up to the sky that that we're going to get hit by lightning. But that's not how God operates. God's not so fickle that says, you feel forsaken? I'm going to show you forsaken. It's not normally how God rolls. God's ego can handle our anger. God's ego can handle our despair. And when our anger has run its course, God is there to hold us. God is still ours. And we are still God's. We know this because this psalm, the most famous psalm of lament, isn't just read in the psalms. It's also read in the gospels. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't know about y'all. I've heard people say that all he's trying to do is point people toward Psalm 22. Like basically, you know, saying, if you could turn in your hymn books to Psalm 22 uh, and and sing this with me as I'm on this cross, I'd appreciate it. We're going to sing the first, second, and third verses. Uh, but that's not really what he's saying. In the pain and shame of the cross, the humanity of Christ feels lost. There's a reason this man in Gethsemane was praying and crying and stressing until blood was pouring out of his forehead. This was hard. And in this moment, he felt lost. He felt separated from God. But on that Friday, there was still the Sunday that proved that God was with him the whole time. That's the ultimate end of the psalm. Like I said earlier, as the psalmist realizes that God is still there standing with them. And that God hears the cry of not just them, but all of the needy. So we see in Job's story the anger that comes when we're told God is something that or someone that God isn't. In the psalm, we see the anger that comes when it feels like God's not there. That we will often find that God's with us the whole time. We see that God's big enough to handle our problems, that God is big enough to handle our anger, and that the anger doesn't ruin our ability to come to God. It is not necessary, necessarily a wall that separates us from God, but rather it is an avenue that can get us back to God, that God can redeem all of our anger. So when can anger keep us from God? We see that in our gospel text today. Now there's 3,000 different ways you can preach the story of the rich young ruler. But we've heard most of those already. And that's, I call him the rich young ruler, which we don't hear in the, the Mark text. That that comes from Luke, this uh, addition to the, the guy's description. And this we just see that he's a man that shows up. We find out later that he's got some money. But the the idea of a rich young ruler tells you of a guy that's got a lot going for him, right? I mean, okay, so he's rich. He's got money. He's young. So, I mean, what normally goes with youth, but, you know, the ability to jog and to look all right. Uh, And uh, he's a ruler. So, you know, people listen to him. So he's got youth. He's got money. He's got power. One could say that those second two tend to go together. So when he says to Jesus, he runs up, he kneels at his feet and says, how do I get eternal life? Now, this is directly after the, the text that, that Alicia preached from last week. I don't know if you remember from Alicia's sermon, but uh, it's pretty common for Jesus, when you ask him a direct question, to answer with something that is not connected to that question in any way, shape, or form. And so he says, you should you, you know the commandments. You should follow the commandments. And he says, well, I already follow the commandments. And he says, okay, well, then there's something else you need to do. You need to sell your possessions and then come follow me. He doesn't say anything about eternal life. That's not what he's talking about. He says, Hey, you should sell your possessions and come and follow me. He's giving him an idea. It's not a hard and fast rule uh, about how all of us are supposed to behave, but rather it is Jesus pinpointing what would be this one man's hang up and trying to walk him through, working through it. But when Jesus says that, the man is in despair at the words. He is grieving, the New Revised Standard says, which I think is a great word because what he wanted more than anything, he feels is impossible. And he runs away sad. He runs away angry. He runs away not knowing how to keep going. You see, this rich man's despair did not come from his relationship with God, but rather an unfamiliarity of God. When Job went through his anger at God. He was working through his relationship with God. This was therapy for Job. The psalmist is the same way. He was claiming this relationship and was working through it together. Jesus said, if you want to know me, you should just take this first step and then come walk with me. But that first step, those the terms and conditions were were too much. And so he ran away. This was not anger in the middle of his relationship. It was anger that ended the relationship before it even started. He wasn't codifying some understanding of how we should spend our money in order to be a part of the church. He was saying, You have a problem. And let's admit that you have a problem and work through it. Anger and sadness aren't bad emotions, y'all. They're human emotions, they are things that we They are things that we go through, and they're not something that we can just stifle and pretend don't exist. But they can spur us to action. They can spur us to seek God more. When I think about anger, the first thing that I think about is Martin Luther, the reformer, who basically said, God gave me anger so I can do things. Because if it wasn't for anger, I wouldn't get up in the morning. It was the righteous anger that he felt that allowed him to be the person God wanted him to be, or the, the person he was. We can argue about that a different time. Uh, so the rich young ruler is in this place where the anger didn't spur him into action. It spurred him to inaction. It spurred him to stop. When we find ourselves angry at God, we should start out the way the rich young ruler started out. We should kneel before Jesus. Jesus. We should look to the example and the teachings set forth by Jesus so we can go through the same thing Job goes through when we are working through our understanding of God. Because like I've said before, and I will keep saying up here, because if there's one thing I want you all to remember, it is this. God looks like Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. So if we're trying to figure out what God looks like, we go to the example and teachings of Jesus. So seek out Jesus. Work through it with Jesus. Because our anger and sadness and lament should never be the end of our conversation with God. It's simply a new beginning. It's the beginning of a new day. May we never stop beginning our relationship with Jesus. May we never stop working through it. May we never stop trying again. When the seasons of our life Bring the full spectrum of emotions to the table. May we bring all those emotions to Jesus. Often, we'll see that our anger and that our sadness aren't as much where God has moved away from us, where God has left us in the valley, but rather, they are the moments when God is next to us, when God is mourning with us, and when God is allowing us to go through the fire, to come out a better person. This is the moment when God is standing and asking us to follow, even when it's hard, and even when there's a lot we gotta leave behind. It's the moment when he's asking us to be more like Christ. Jesus is not asking us to push our emotions aside. Jesus is not asking us to become an automaton, or to become a voice of only happiness and joy. He's simply asking us that in the hard times, we trust. In the hard times, we share those emotions with the God who cares. May we all put our trust in Jesus today. May we all share our hearts with Jesus today. Let us pray.